question for you this morning. How many of you guys have gone fishing ever in your life? Fishing, right? Most everybody's gone fishing. Uh, I come from Southern California. There's no natural lakes hardly at all down there. Uh, there's this, a couple of man-made lakes that you can go to every once in a while. And one of them's right off the freeway in Anaheim. It's pretty, it's remarkable every time I'm going down the, the Riverside Freeway, going west, and I look over and I see these guys fishing in this man-made lake right behind El Pollo Loco. And I'm just like, you guys really go here to fish? Do you have fun, you know? Because, you know, whether you fish on a lake or a pond or a river, or maybe you've gone fishing in the ocean. I did get to go fishing in the ocean off Ensenada one time. That was fun. The, the waves were rolling on the boat, and uh, we didn't catch a lot of fish, but I remember at the, at the high point of the boat, we all jumped up in the air, and when the boat went down into the trough, it was like it gave us this, like we were slam dunking a basketball or something. We were up so high. That was fun. But that's a different kind of fishing. I mean, that, that's the kind of fishing uh, for fun, for a pastime. Uh, if you catch a fish, great. If you don't catch a fish, it's not necessarily the end of the world because hopefully you brought some peanut butter sandwiches just as a backup. But, but there's a difference between, you know, recreational, you know, one pole in the water. Let's see if I can catch anything most of the time. Honestly, the last three times I've been fishing, I've drowned worms. I've drowned these salmon eggs. That's all I've done. And I've come up empty and I'm like, really? Is this what fishing is? Because it's not very, it's not that fun. Uh, this, this is a picture. This is a terrible photo. I'm going to give that a disclaimer right away. But this is a picture. You can look this up on YouTube. Fishing, commercial fishing in Alaska. That's what I looked up on Google. You done that? Oh, fantastic. Commercial fishing in Alaska. This is uh, in the Prince William Sound area of Alaska. It, the, this is a commercial fishing boat. Not a very big boat. But it has these, these long nets, and they take two boats. So they have one, one bigger boat that holds the nets, and then they have a smaller boat that grabs the net and runs it out across the sound or across the river, whatever that opening is. Because the salmon, you know, up in Alaska, they all, they all run up river to spawn. And these guys are, are fishing commercially for pink uh, salmon. And the pink salmon aren't that big. They're not like those giant ones you see. They're like three pounds each on average. So these guys uh, uh, take a net and they, they take that boat all the way out across the river and they wait a little while and there's floaters on top of the, uh, the, on top of the water and then they have the lead uh, weights on the bottom of the net and it goes down and then they have a way of pulling in the bottom of the net so when the fish get caught, they're sort of caught and wrapped up and then they pull that net back toward the big boat and they lift it up with a crane on top of the boat and on average, the, the YouTube video that I saw, they were averaging 3,500 pounds of salmon that they were bringing in every catch. And they said they threw, they, they, they reconfigured the nets and they put them out again. They did that about seven or eight times a day when the salmon were really running. So this is commercial fishing. This is fishing for a living. This is the kind of fishing that if you do this, you make money. And if, you, and if you do this and you don't catch any fish, well, that's your livelihood. So we're going to see a story today about fishermen and fishing and being out on a boat and Jesus. So we're in our last uh, message in our series called Come and See about coming, checking out a new, uh, a new perspective, a new outlook on Jesus from the Gospel of John. I'm jumping out of John now. I'm going to Luke 
So we're in Luke chapter 5 this morning. It's page 719 in your black holy Bibles there in the pews if you want to follow along. Or you can look on the screen as well and you can see some of the Bible verses there. My friend Jeff Wall that I told you about, that signal expansion engineer, that the reason that he filed all those new filings with the FCC so that he could get a new station for Caleb Christian Radio, he said the next Billy Graham could be in that small town. Remember that guy? He, every summer, he went to Seattle Pacific University, but he said every summer in college, he went up and he did commercial fishing in Prince William Sound there uh, to catch salmon, and he said he made enough money, paid for all his college. So I was impressed. Student loans person would be impressed by that, <laughs> but that he, that he made enough money to do that. So we're going to be in a different place now, not up in Alaska. We're going to be over in Israel on the Sea of Galilee in the northern shore. These poor fishermen, uh, two, probably two or three guys each in these two boats, they came back from the Sea of Galilee. They'd fished all night and they'd caught nothing. And they come into shore uh, some of the names you might recognize as Peter, but before he was Peter, do you remember what his name was? Simon, right? So we have Simon, and then we have the two brothers, James and John. Those are the names we know about uh, from, from these fishermen on the boat. So they've come in from fishing all night. They've caught nothing. Jesus is now on the shore, and Jesus is ready to teach God's people. Let's see what Jesus has to say, and let's ask God's blessing on this message. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to see new things. So we ask you, we say, open up my eyes, open up our eyes, that we may see wonderful things in your word. Lord, show us uh, spiritual insights from this encounter that Jesus had with Peter and how Peter had this uncomfortable encounter with Jesus. Show us what that means to us today and how we can become better followers of you, that we can learn more about you, that your Holy Spirit would en enlighten our hearts, and that we could uh, become more dedicated followers of you because of it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. It says this, Luke chapter 5 and verse 1, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's another term for the Sea of Galilee, uh, that 14-mile long by 6-mile wide air, uh, lake up there in northern Israel. Uh, the people were crowding around him, and, he, and lit, they were listening to the Word of God. So, you know, Jesus is there. He's teaching the Word of God. He's known as the friend of sinners. Uh, he invites people to follow him all the time. He teaches them the Word of God. He may have been uh, teaching them many things that we now know of as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it says that Jesus in Matthew's gospel was going around preaching the good news of the kingdom. So these people were listening to Jesus. And of course, these fishermen were on the shoreline also listening to Jesus. And Jesus had this ingenious idea. He decided, hey, uh, the crowds are too much for me. They're crowding around me. I need to be able to have a little space so that I can speak to them. And guess what? The water is a natural carrier of sound. So Jesus uh, uh, purposefully, I think he had this in mind all along, he asks Peter and he says, uh, Simon, uh, can I use your boat I, so that I can do my teaching? And of course, Peter says, sure. So he saw at the water's edge, verse 2, two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. 
He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Do you think that was happenstance? Do you think that was just random that he got into Simon's boat? Especially when we know what's going to happen later, right? So Jesus gets into Simon's boat and asks him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. So the shore of the lake, of course, it provides this excellent acoustically serviceable amphitheater to be able to teach this multitude of people. And of course, it wasn't unusual that what Jesus was doing, many rabbis in his day would gather students around them and teach them the Torah. But the kind of disciples that Jesus is gathering is unusual because they're not the normal theological, quote, Bible college, Bible school students. These were not theological professionals. These were fishermen and tax collectors and former zealots or revolutionaries, just plain old sinners like you and me, to make up this band of brothers that he's going to form a mission team that is going to change the world. Jesus launches them on a journey with God, a walk in which he, God in the flesh, begins to work in their lives. And so, one of the lessons for us is we don't need to be perfect to come to God. We just need to be willing to learn, to come and see. Like Jesus said, you know, hey, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. They said, hey, uh, we found the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Come and see. So people are coming to check out Jesus. What you need to know at the time is it, it, it looks like in this point of the story in the, of the gospel that not too many of the disciples had become full-time disciples of Jesus yet. He hadn't yet called them to full-time discipleship. And so that's why Peter and James and John and some of these other guys are still fishing for a living on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. So when Jesus, verse 4, when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Now this, is, this scene to me is what I call a basic moment of discipleship. It's a basic moment, meaning come de coming down to the essentials of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because Jesus is telling Peter to do something, right? Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. So Jesus is telling Peter to do something. And what is the basic element of discipleship? If we are followers of Jesus, when he says for us to do something, what are we supposed to do? I don't know, Lord, I don't, can I just, you know, ponder that a minute? Can I, you know, do another word study on that just to see if that's really what you're calling me to do? Uh, or does he just say, yes, master, that's what I should do because I've called you my Lord and Savior and no, Lord is not a Christian sentence, right? So the master calls Peter to do something and it's something that to Peter, honestly, as a professional fisherman, seems like a waste of time. I mean, Jesus, don't you know Peter is a professional fisherman? I can see Peter thinking, Jesus, now look, you know theology, but I know fishing. I do this for a living. I do this all the time. I'm a professional. That's how I make my living. Doesn't Jesus know that we worked hard all night fishing? We haven't caught a single fish. Jesus, why are you telling us how to do our jobs? Now, the beauty of this, and when I say this is a basic moment of discipleship, is Peter passes the test because Peter says, Master, we've, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, and yet, and yet Peter's willing to say this, 
Uh, but he says, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now that is a mark of a true disciple. Even if you don't understand Jesus and why he's asking you to do something, you trust Jesus enough to say, I don't know why, but you know better than I do, and I will do what you say, and maybe I'll understand later. And isn't that the truth of, of a lot of our Christian lives? Sometimes we're just being obedient to God. We don't know why we're doing that. And later on, in hindsight, you know, they say hindsight is twenty twenty. we start to understand that's why. You wanted me to do that. I get it now. I didn't get it at the time. But we wouldn't have got it at all if we hadn't been willing to be obedient to what Jesus calls us to do. So Peter says, because you say so, I will let down the nets. You see, that's the kind of follower Jesus is looking for. You don't have to completely understand why. You just need to trust him and obey. Just like that song. Remember that old hymn that we sing? Trust and obey for there's no other. I'm not... I'm not auditioning for the choir. I know where Becky, Becky's going to say, no, I'm not going to do that. But trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And Peter is being a, a good disciple at this time. Now, there, was a, there is a theologian and a Bible teacher on the radio today. I love this guy. He's a true intellectual. He's a true theologian. In fact, he was the general editor of the new Geneva Study Bible that came out. And I got this Bible, and I found it was a tremendous resource. His name is R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul was in seminary back when he was a young man, and he was in a class with 18 other young Bible students, budding theologians, right? And the professor asks them this question. He says, students, he says, given what we know about God's divine election, given that we know the doctrine of election is sure, then if God already knows who will be saved and who won't be saved, then why should we evangelize? You ever thought about that question? Okay. If, God, if, if you believe in pure Calvinism and that you know, God knows the end, of the end from the beginning, God knows who will be saved and who will be lost, and that's already, according to this particular theology, that's already been decided beforehand. If God knows all that, why should we have to go out and share our faith if God already, if God already has the results? That's that particular point of theology. So all 18 students are trying to answer that question. If God, if divine election is true, then why should we go and evangelize? And all 18 students, except for R.C. Sproul, they basically replied, you know, that's a good question, professor. I've often wondered that myself. You know, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out why to do this. And the professor finally came to R.C. Sproul, and R.C. Sproul says, well... You know, he didn't really believe this like, like super enthusiastically, but he was trying to come up with a reason. So he says, well, professor, I suppose that if the Lord Jesus commands us to evangelize, then we're supposed to do it. And the professor says, exactly, Mr. Sproul, exactly. If the Lord Jesus Christ commands you, then you are to do it. So here, Peter may have not agreed with Jesus' command, but he did call him master. And Peter did what Jesus told him to do. You see, on the shores of the lake, I think that Jesus got into Peter's boat for a reason. He got into Peter's boat for a reason because he was going to do this visible object lesson, this miracle of a catch of fish in order to show Peter uh, something about the kingdom of God, something that Peter and James and John would never forget for the rest of their lives. 
When they had done so, so he says, because you say so, master, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, notice it was they. Notice that these were commercial fishermen. Notice that it wasn't just Peter saying, all right, fine, I'll go fishing. And he takes out a pole and he throws one little hook into the water. That wasn't the way they fished back then. They fished with nets and they fished together commercially, uh, professionally, and they shared in what they had caught. So he says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Wow, Jesus being God in the flesh. The Bible says Jesus created everything that there is. Nothing exists that Jesus, that he didn't make according to John chapter one. So Jesus made the fish. Jesus made the lake. He's the Lord of all creation, and at Jesus' commands, the fish come swimming toward those nets, and they're willing to get in to the nets to do the bidding of their master. So the, these three fishermen, they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full. Get this, not just one boat. It says they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, I don't know uh, what success moment you've ever had in your life, but this has to be one of those. If you've ever won the lottery, if you've ever gotten a hole-in-one golfing, if you've ever hit in a grand slam in baseball, if you've ever been in a situation where the game is either going to be won or lost on a Hail Mary pass, and if you've ever thrown a Hail Mary pass or caught a Hail Mary pass at the end of a game for a touchdown and won the game, you might not know this kind of euphoria. But these guys were astounded. This is like best day ever, right? With this amazing catch of fish. And I can imagine the wheels in Peter's head were turning. Wow, Jesus says, put down the nets and look at this amazing, miraculous catch. Jesus, I've got a deal for you. I've got a business proposition. We'll give you 50% of the catch. Not fine. We'll give you 60% of the catch. Okay, fine. We'll give you 70% of the catch if you just come down here once a week and do what you just did, right? And we'll be set for life, right? That is not how Peter responded to this miracle. That's the way I thought he would. You know how you're reading a story and you think, okay, this is probably what's going to happen. And then Peter does something completely unexpected. Something completely different than what the way we thought the story was going to go. Instead of, of uh, whooping it up and celebrating and all this, Peter had a completely different reaction. Peter responded in verse 8. When Peter saw this, this miraculous catch of fish, and he looked over at Jesus. And if you ever uh, look at the Jesus movie that's based on the Gospel of Luke, you see Peter in the boat with all this fish. You see Jesus at the other end of the boat, and they lock eyes and they see each other. When, Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' Jesus's knees and he said, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You know, that's a surprise to me. Right after the miracle, Peter actually begs Jesus to leave. He begged Jesus to go away. Why would Peter do that? Peter said to him, Lord, depart from me. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. You know, I don't know if you've, you've chronicled in your reading as you've read the Bible, but there are a number of places where a man or a woman has had an encounter with God himself. And most of those encounters don't go of that, 
Don't go the way of that. Oh, God. Okay. Well, I'm Jim. Nice to meet you. Uh, you're the creator of the universe. Well, it's good. Hey, thanks for, thanks for making yourself known. I, I appreciate that. So how are things going? You know? um, no, when, whenever somebody has an encounter with God, it's a completely different experience. In fact, most of the encounters that people have had with God in the Bible, it was not a pleasant experience at all. They were overwhelmed. Look at the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. Upon seeing God on his throne and the angels and the seraphim flying around the Lord saying, holy, 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 Isaiah cries out and he says, woe to me, I am ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It's almost as like saying, you just burned out my retinas, you know? Isaiah chapter 6, uh, then there's John the Apostle in the book of Revelation. Upon seeing the risen and glorified Jesus, John sees that and, and he describes what he sees in the, in the risen glorified Jesus. You remember Jesus in John chapter 17, he says, he says, Father, uh, bring me back the glory that I had with you, the glory before the world began. So there's this idea, the Mount of Transfiguration, you see Jesus as he really is. These little glimpses of who Jesus really is, not just veiled in glory when he was a human being walking the earth. So he sees the glorified Lord Jesus, John does, and he says his eyes were bright like flames of fire. His feet were as bright as bronze refined. His voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And now here's Peter encountering Jesus, seeing Jesus for who he really is, seeing Jesus in, all, in, his, in his glory and his holiness. And it made Peter uncomfortable. Peter didn't want to be around that because when Peter saw the holiness of Jesus and who he really was, Peter became aware of his own spiritual condition. And so he says, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. You see, the truth is when we come into God's holy presence, nothing makes a sinner more uncomfortable than being in the presence of a holy God. You know, one reason why this church isn't filled, filled to, I was going to say filled to the gills, you know, running my fish illustration, but, but filled to the rafters. Why isn't our church filled to the rafters every Sunday morning? Well, one of the reasons is because there's lots of people out there that want to stay as far away from the real Jesus as they possibly can. They want to avoid being in Jesus' presence. Sinners won't come to church for lots of reasons, but one big reason is because they're sinners. They shrink away. We tend to shrink away from a holy God. And you know, in the Gospels, whenever Jesus came around a demonized person, right, they would just fall at his feet and they'd say, they said, who are you, Jesus, holy one of God? Please don't send us into the abyss. The demons hated to be in the presence of Jesus. They couldn't stand to be around his holiness. If Peter really understood not just the holiness of Jesus, but if he understood the love and the grace of our Lord Jesus in that moment, Instead of saying, depart from me, Jesus, he would have run to Jesus. He would have said, Lord, I am a sinful man. I am in need of a savior. Please save me from my sins. You and I have both heard people say in our lives, haven't we? I mean, you're talking to skeptics and unbelievers, maybe atheists or even agnostics, and they'll say something like, you know what? You have your truth and I have my truth. I don't need your religion, I don't need your God, I don't need your Jesus. 
You know, in a moment like this, one of the questions you could ask, you say, wow, is your heart really that hard? Do you not realize that there's nothing that you need more in your life right now than Jesus? I mean, what are you going to do with your sin? What are you going to do with your guilt? I don't know anybody, and I don't think you do either if they're honest. I don't know anybody who doesn't have guilt over something that they've done or said or some way they've hurt somebody else. There is no one else. There is nobody else other than Jesus that can fix your problem. So instead of running away from Jesus, we should all be running to Jesus. We would see that his loving, accepting, gracious arms, they are wide open to us. And look, this is how Jesus answers Peter. He doesn't condemn him. He says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. I think I've told you in a message or two in the past that the number one command in the Bible that's repeated over and over again is do not be afraid. God doesn't want us to fear. He doesn't want us to be afraid. He wants us to come to him, not run away from him. Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. You know what Jesus is saying? Guess what? Peter, remember he changed Simon's name to Peter, changed him from whatever your name was to now you're going to be Rocky. Now you're going to be the rock upon this rock of Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock, I will build my church. He says, guess what, Peter? I forgive you of all your sins. I'm taking that heart of stone and I'm going to turn that heart of stone into a grace-filled heart of flesh. And guess what, Peter? You and I, we are going on a new kind of fishing business together. You know what it's going to be called? The Messiah Kingdom Fishing Company. (laughs) Unlimited. Because God, somehow in his providence, God chooses to save people through human beings, through the preaching of the word. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing hearing by the word of God. And so... God has decided that somehow through another human being who knows Jesus, communicating the good news to somebody else, that is now how God chooses to save people. And so, Peter, you're going to be one of my greatest spokesmen. Are you ready? God chooses the foolishness of preaching in order to save people. And God invites Peter to join him on that. God says, from now on, you will fish for people. You know, when you think about fishing, Most of the time, you think of it in terms of, okay, you're out in nature somewhere with a fishing pole and some bait. It's just you by a lake or a creek or a river or something like that. Real commercial fishing. Do you see all the people? This this is just a a, a picture. Uh, I looked up the Sea of Galilee and commercial fishing, and this is what came up. This is a fishing boat. The fishermen on the boat are working with the fishermen on the shore. They're both handling the nets. Once they get the net and the nets and the fish gathered, they move the boat closer into shore and they circle the fish with the net so they can't escape and then they pull the net into shore and that's how they catch a great number of fish. Fishing in a pole was not how the fishing was done in the first century by Peter. They fished together. So that's the other point I'm trying to make. It wasn't just that they fished with nets. It's the fact that commercial fishing is a team sport. You do not go commercial fishing by yourself. You work together. And when you work together, 
the way God wants us to work together in his church, in his body of Christ, when we go, quote, commercial fishing together, the harvest is going to be much greater than one fish at a time on one pole at a time. It's going to be a, a, a tremendous har a harvest when we have a team sport like this commercial fishing. It was such a great catch of fish. In fact, I told you back in the Alaska fishing, when they pulled in that fishing boat uh, on the Prince William Sound, average, the average haul on those nets, 3,500 pounds of fish. You come to the end of the video, I hope, you, I hope you go Google it and watch it because there's a fisherman and he's kind of like, you know how they make that snow angel? They just lay there and they go like this, you know, in the snow. He's in this giant pile of fish and they're all squirming and he's just going, ha ha, we just got 3,500 pounds of salmon. We're rich or whatever. He saw it that way. From now on, you and I, you and I will fish for people. Let's review our vision statement as a church, shall we? Sebastopol Christian Church exists. Why are, why are we gathering? Why are we meeting here? We exist to build a family, to grow, to develop a family of hope-filled followers of Jesus who will bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. If you look around and there's any empty space to your right or to your left or in front of you or back of you, that means that we haven't done our job yet because there are still people who need to know the Savior. There's still people that need to come into God's family, just like Peter did when he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus said, don't be afraid. He came running to Jesus in his sin and Jesus was willing to save him, who will bring others into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what did the, these fishermen do? Verse 11 says, so they pulled up their boats up on the shore. They left everything and they followed him. You know, what that reminds me of is they, they went all in. You know, that, that term from, if you ever watch poker, like it, the only reason I see poker on TV is, is, you know, 24 hour sports is, you know, there's nothing else on. Cause that's when they say world series of poker. You're like, Seriously? That's like watching pool. Like, that's a sport? Underwater BB stacking? What, what's going on here? You know, you, you, you come up with these sports that aren't really sports and you throw them on. But there's this poker going on and it's this idea that there's some point in, in the game at which this guy says, I'm risking it all in order to win it all. And that's what they, they mean when they say, I'm going all in. So they take all their chips and they just go whoosh and they go all in. That was Peter's moment right here. Peter and James and John, they left everything and they followed him. They put down their nets. They said, I'm, I'm not gonna be fishing anymore for fish. I'm gonna be fishing with Jesus and in the Messiah kingdom fishing enterprise. And they went all in. And that's what God wants us to do. Because if you really look in the New Testament and you read that, there's no such thing as a part-time disciple. There, there are no part-time followers of Jesus. We may have them in our day. We may have what I call in Spanish these simpatizantes, which is a word that sort of means they, they hang around the church. They hang around the gospel. They may listen to Christian music here and there. They may look at a Bible passage here and there. They may come to Christmas, uh, Christmas uh, service or something like that. But, but the rest of the year, you would not know that they were followers of Jesus. That is an unknown definition in the Bible. If, you're, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, it's a full-time proposition. 
Because it's not just growing in ourselves. It's not just saying, hey, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I'm now in God's family. I am a child of God. You know, we sing all that. That's all great. But then Jesus says, from now on, following me, from now on, you're going to catch men. You're going to catch women. We're going to catch people for, for God. Jesus calls those who know they need to humble themselves before his holiness, before his power and presence. He will not only call us, because that's what he does. He calls us and he says, follow me. But he calls us and then he employs us in his kingdom work if we will let him. If we will let him. If we will have that moment of discipleship like Peter that says, all right, master, because you say so, I will do it. Because you say so, I will do it. That's the moment of surrender to Jesus' lordship. So what are our action points for today? You look on your bulletin, there's only five words I need you to fill in. The first one, the first action point is following Jesus eventually leads you to recognize Jesus for who he really is. Some of us have followed Jesus for a while now. We see him, oh, Jesus is a great teacher. Jesus is a, a prophet. Jesus is a person who has wisdom for living. But there's more to Jesus than that because he says he's the son of God. He says he's the son of man. He says he is the savior. He says no one comes to the father except through him because only he is the one who can save and who can fix our problem of sin and separation from God. So we have to recognize eventually Jesus is more than just a man or a prophet or a gifted teacher. He is God incarnate in human flesh. He's holy and awesome. He's deity veiled in humanity. We need to stand before him and tremble, just like Peter did. Recognize Jesus for who he really is. Number two, to follow Jesus is to do what he says. To do what he says and follow him sometimes even though we don't understand what he is commanding us. That command wasn't difficult to understand. It was just difficult to do. This professional fisherman, I, who knows better, you or me? He says, like when Jesus says, I know that, I know that, like when Jesus says to us this, I know that that person hurts you deeply. But now what I want you to do is I want you to forgive them. I want you to forgive them and I actually want you to ask God to bless them. Huh? And so your initial reaction is, what? Don't you know what they did to me? And Jesus, you know what he says? He says, I know exactly what they did to you. They did to you what many people did to me. And I want you to forgive them anyway, just as I have forgiven you for all the bad things that you've said and done. And so here we are now at a spiritual crossroads. Will we obey the Lord Jesus? And again, why do we call him Lord if we're not willing to do what he says? Will we be willing to obey the Lord Jesus when he commands us to do something? If we do, we're going to keep growing in our faith. We're going to become better people. We're going to become more like him and less like our old self. It's really all about those moments that when Jesus, to follow him is to be willing to do what he says for us to do. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And then number three, finally, when we follow Jesus, he invites us to join him. Join him. He's in the kingdom saving mission enterprise. And he says, join him in his mission. From now on, you will catch men, Jesus says. From now on, the New Living Translation says, from now on, you're going to be fishing for people. 
And friends, honestly, that's where the adventure really begins. We get to serve Jesus by partnering with him, sharing the good news, and making disciples of every person on planet Earth. Remembering our mission statement, why do we exist? We exist to build a hope-filled followers of Jesus, to build us up so that we can bring others into a growing relationship with our Creator. So let's go ahead to the Lord in prayer together. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'd just like everyone to have this, uh, a moment of reflection with God. Heavenly Father, for those of us who are still a little like the old Peter, um, help us to stop running away from you. Help us to, that we come closer to you and we see you for who you really are, Lord. Help us, to, help us to run toward you where you say, don't be afraid, where you're willing to wrap us in your loving arms and accept us and not reject us just because we're sinners. In fact, being sinners, Lord, that's the only thing that, <laughs> that's a prerequisite for becoming a follower of you is recognizing that we are sinners. Lord, help us to run to you today. Help us to fall at your feet. Help us to, to humble ourselves so that you can heal us. Lord Jesus, we ask you to cleanse us from our sin. We ask you to forgive us. And then God, when you do that, set us up on our feet again so that we can join you in your mission enterprise so that we can spread your good news far and wide until everybody can see what a great Savior you really are. And with our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, if you've, if you've never had that moment of surrender, if you've never humbled yourself before God and said to him, Lord, I am a sinner and you're the Savior and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, I just ask you to, to do that right now. Just pray along this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, please save me. Save me a sinner. Forgive me for all the bad things that I've done. Help me to follow you. Lord, I say yes to your lordship in my life. I say yes to becoming your follower. I ask you to show me my next steps. Lord, how can I keep on moving ahead from this day to growing in my faith? Lord, help me to figure that out. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving me. And I will be a follower of you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayers because of Jesus. And we pray in his name. And together, everybody said, amen.